How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Praise God. I uh, just want to say how remarkable it is to work on a team that's not just talented, but that is in tune with the Spirit of the Lord. The message that I'm going to bring to you this morning as we close this Nehemiah series is centered in the glory of the Lord. And uh, nobody knew that because it just came together Thursday morning for me. And actually, I, I emailed the message notes to Heather at 11 a.m. And I hadn't talked to Aaron, who chose the set list this week. And I just checked my phone. She sent the text at 1.04 p.m. Thursday afternoon, not knowing what I was going to be bringing this morning. And this whole, we haven't done this song in, in quite a while. And so this morning, I'm just thankful that the Holy Spirit brings confirmation. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Lord, we just worship you this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you order the steps of our lives. Lord, that you can use little things like these just to bring us signposts of confirmation. Lord, that we're hearing from you. Thank you for the, for the greatest signpost, which is Jesus himself. And thank you for the word that you've given to us. We honor that today in this place. We ask you, Lord, just to open our hearts and prepare us to receive what you're going to speak to us today. We'll give you the praise and the glory in this place and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you're a first-time guest today, we welcome you. To Victory Church, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We uh, are just so grateful that you've come. You don't have to leave the chair. I'm going to just use the podium today. Just so grateful that you've come to uh, be with us this morning. Uh, I know that there are a lot of great churches in the West Memphis, Marion area, and we are truly honored that you've come to be with us today. If you are a guest this morning and you have any kind of need, if you'll look around and you see the people in the red serve shirts, uh, they're able to help you with anything that you might need during or after the service this morning. This series, uh, I believe, is a turning point for us. I believe that there are principles that we have gleaned from this that will encourage us and inform us to move as a people into the community to become a Nehemiah people. If I correctly characterize my role in this Ezra-Nehemiah relationship. I am Ezra. God's called me here to this community to study and to teach the people how to do the law and to, to, the law of the word of the Lord. I'm not talking about legalism law. But to take the word of the Lord and to understand it clearly <clears throat> so that you may walk according to the light of the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and if I'm Ezra then that means everybody sitting here in the congregation is in Nehemiah out in the community. Because the role that I have is to, to be an encourager to you, to be an equipper, to be an instructor, to be a comforter, to be a challenger, to sometimes to be a goad and to prod you and poke you and to remind you of who you are and the destiny that God has on your life. And so this morning as I bring this message, I just want to pause and say thank you to Pastor Jeremy who did an absolutely amazing job last Sunday on Mother's Day. Give him a hand if you would please. Speaking about the divine nature of God and what he's placed in moms. 
we uh, weren't here, obviously, and we were, uh, as a family, my son Drew <clears throat> came in, and Abby flew in from New York. She'll be here in our second service today, and we'll be flying back immediately after the service this afternoon. Uh, we went to the gravesite and had a family service together uh, with Dawn's mom, since it was the first, <coughs> first Mother's Day for the children and for me without Dawn. Um, and so I thank you for your prayers. Many of you have reached out to me this week through via texts and tweets and Facebook messages and phone calls, and uh, I'm truly grateful for the people of God, because if I did not have Jesus, if I did not have Jesus who has blessed me and who has never left me, and if I didn't have the people of God to encourage and remind me, I probably wouldn't be alive this morning myself to deal with. And um, this morning I'm asking the Holy Spirit for strength because if there has been anything on my heart the last six, seven months of my life, it has been the subject of this message. This morning in the, the 10th installment in this series as we conclude it, and I'm going to say that next Sunday we'll actually come back with a Q&A. We're going to have a congregational panel. It's not just going to be pastors, but a congregational panel who are Nehemiahs in the community. And I'm excited about that because I want each and every one of us to find a place of calling and destiny and how we can each leave a legacy behind us. Um, and so we'll be talking and asking questions to the congregational panel of Nehemiahs to help challenge every one of us to go forth and be the comforter of Yahweh. That's what Nehemiah means. Nehemiah wasn't anything special. As a matter of fact, if you read your Bible, there's not a one that God used that was anything special. He used liars and adulterers and murderers and thieves and con men and women and harlots. I mean, my goodness, he, he, he saved a, a whore from Jericho and put her name in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you know if he can take a hoe and turn her life around? That's just not church talk, and that's why I use it. Look at your neighbor and say, man, he's real. How many of you know if God can take, let's get to King James Biblical, if God can take a harlot and he can redeem her life, and make her become part of the genealogical lineage of the Messiah. He can do anything with the mess you think you've made. And so this morning, what I want to bring to you just for a few moments is what I believe the last three chapters of Nehemiah really are about. It's the art of finishing well. And I have wrestled. I've wrestled now for a few days beyond seven months going, God, how can I finish this? How can I finish this? I feel like I've lost a limb. And that's not even appropriate. I feel like part of my heart has died. How can I finish well? How can I do what I know you have called me to do without the helper that you gave me to walk beside me? And so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning in heavily into the, into the Lord for His grace and His mercy on my life 
to finish well. Because so many people start, so many people start something. They start a business or they start a marriage or they start a family and then somewhere along the way get discouraged or they start a diet or they start a new habit or they start a new, new, new uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a, a new hobby and invest sometimes significant amounts of money into it and then get a little distracted or sidelined and then just quit. And don't raise your hand, but if we were truthful, how many of us have collections of stuff that's brimming over in the closets and the garages and the sheds of our homes because of stuff we've started and then not finished? I don't want to condemn you this morning. Let me just tell you, I'm thankful today, even though, even though there are things that I have yet unfinished in my life, I'm thankful for a Savior who began a good work and He will not quit until He has finished it. If there is anything that is a... Life verse to me, it is Philippians 1.6. God burned it off of the books of the book of the, the pages of the Bible when I was 18 years old and at a, at a low in my life, crying out to God for Him to touch me and change me and transform me. The summer before I started school at Arkansas State University. I was crying out to God because I had been in a place of backslidden state, away, walking away from God. Not, I, I never lost my salvation, but I certainly wasn't enjoying the fellowship of the relationship with the Father. I was the prodigal. And I hit the wall and I cried out to God and about 1 o'clock in the morning at the corner of 300 South Center in Reading, the front bedroom, I opened my Bible and said, God, I don't know if I could even hear you. And if, 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 if you can break through this, and my Bible flipped way over into the right side of the New Testament in the book of Philippians, and I looked in Philippians 1 and verse 6 enlarged in front of me. Don't care whether you believe that or not, I know what I saw. It's like the letters got big. And it said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say this, God finishes what he starts. It was said of Jesus in Mark 10, He has done all things well. How many of you know He finishes well? And even though we all have unfinished stuff, we have a Savior who finished what He was called to do. As a matter of fact, He hung on the cross and said those words, It is that less stuff. It's paid. It's finished. And so this morning, I, I believe that too often we start things and then don't finish. And I, I, I try to encourage young Christians that are chomping at the bit and excited and just looking for, trying to find themselves and their identity in Christ and looking for calling and looking for what their purpose and their place is. And they're just, just almost in a frantic mode. And I want to go, I tell them all the time, look, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And we want to finish well. We want to pace ourselves. We want to, as a matter of fact, that's what the author of the book of Hebrews says. He says, let us finish with patience the race that is set before us. Look at your neighbor and say, let us finish. So this morning my text is found in the closing section. It's not the very last chapter, but it's the closing section of the book of Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43. It's on the screens. If you would just find that verse and just stay seated and read it out loud with me, please, if you would. Reading from the New Living Translation. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause. Everybody say cause. cause. Go ahead and finish. Say cause for great joy. I love that. How many of you know you got a reason to shout? 
You've got a reason to be grateful. You've got a reason to be thankful. This morning, even when I look at the circumstances of what I no longer have, I have to stop and turn my focus and get, get redirected toward the cause that I have for great joy and the fact that that cause rests in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, my focus never can be on what I don't have. It has to be on gratitude for what I do have. No matter how much you ever have or accomplish, if your focus is always on what you don't have, you will never be happy. Happiness will elude you like a bird at the feeder you try to catch. Happiness will elude you. It will never be a part of your life. When you can begin to focus not on yourself but on others and be grateful for what you do have instead of focusing on what you don't have, it's amazing how happiness will pursue you and chase you down. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. I love this. There are details really that are not germane to the series unless you are a really, really serious Bible student and we don't have time to dig to that level of depth. There was actually 12 years between the completion of the wall and the celebration to dedicate it. And just, just read through a lot of detail. There's a lot of genealogical conflict and pursuit on who's going to be priests and how these things are going to be carried out and so... The, the, the point is, is that persistence, if I will be persistent, I can finish what I've started. But only when I learn to be consistent can I continue to enjoy it. Because too often we finish a goal and the goal then all of a sudden really becomes immaterial and we just sort of go back to the way we used to do things. My own personal life in terms of yo-yoing and my weight has been up and down back and forth and some of you saw on Facebook that I started a new turned a new corner Friday and got a new bicycle and started riding and so look I don't need you, I don't need any applause thank you I really love you and I thank you I need your prayers uh, because I've got a hundred pound journey ahead of me and I'm not going to quit till I finish it and, and and the point is I want to finish well I want to finish what I started and then this time I want to actually be consistent on the other side because I've been there before I've seen it I've been around this mountain I've circled it. I've seen the territory. I know how to do it. I've, I've been up and I've been down. And I've been up and I've been down. And I've been up again and I've been back down. And so persistence is not a problem for me because if, if, if anything will characterize me when my life is finished and I wrote, want this written on my tombstone is he did not quit. He did not quit. There is no quit in me. My children sat with me this week and they said, Dad, you've done such a great job with this church. And I said, Baby, I don't think I have. I think I've just not quit. Because I've made some mistakes and I've made some wrong turns and, 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 and trusted sometimes some people that I shouldn't have trusted and, and held off on trusting others that I should have. And I've made mistakes, but the, the issue is, is that I haven't quit. The one thing I want to bring this morning in this message, go ahead and put that on the screen for me. Read it out loud. Here we go. The end of any God-given vision is God himself. Everything is about the glory of God. There it is right there. That's what Scott just sang about. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit whispered into the ear of Aaron when she chose the set list to put this thing together for us this morning, that we would be a people whose praise would ever be on our lips 
praise of the Father would ever be on our lips and that we would be people that would be in hot pursuit of the glory of God. Four things I want to give to you today that I believe will help us to be leaders that will finish well. And when I say leaders, I'm talking about everybody in the room. You are called to be a leader in this community. We are called to be a Nehemiah people. God's mission for us is to be a Nehemiah company. We are to become Nehemiah incorporated into the Delta with a mission to go and build up what has been broken down by the one whose job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. But the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. God is calling a people that are made in His image, that are made in His likeness, that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Those like Him who would speak with the authority that Jesus spoke with, who would do the things that Jesus did. Oh, that's not possible. Let me tell you what the Bible says. If you believe, the Word of the Lord says you will do greater works than these. Four things I want to bring to you, and I want to give credit to a, a, a hero of faith. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote a book called Explore the Book, and it is a, it is a compendium. It is a tome. It's, it's a doorstop. It's that thick of... All the 66 books of the Bible that gives a great uh, outline and format. This series has been the product of the dealing of God in my own heart and life. But when I have utilized something that's come from someone else, I want to not plagiarize. I want to give credit where credit's due. I want to give honor where honor is due. And this four-point outline came from J. Sidlow Baxter's Explore the Book on the book of Nehemiah. Now... All the thoughts that are under each of these are mine because that's all he had was little four sentences. Here they are. I want you to see this. Go ahead and put them up for me. Let's just read through. Here we go. Clear seeing, plain speaking, firm dealing, God honoring. Those are four things that will help you finish well. Now that's all that was there. It was a little paragraph and I said, oh my goodness, that's good. And I'm praying and I'm reading and I'm searching and I'm digging around in the Word this week and I'm going, how can I finish this up, oh God? Because 11, 12, and 13, the chapters that are there are, are, are just filled with a number of different stories where they're dealing with some, some intricate details of how they're going to reform and transform culture and society. And we're going to look at a couple of what I believe are humorous examples in this in the next few moments. But I saw this. I saw, I saw clearly clear seeing, plain speaking, firm dealing, God-honoring. And I said, man, Father, help that. Help me to have those kinds of characteristics in my life so that I might finish well. Let me see clearly. Let me speak plainly. Let me deal firmly. And let me honor God in everything that I do and say. And this is what Nehemiah did. These were the characteristics that I believe will help us to, to have a, 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 a good finish we will cross the finish line and not just stumble into victory, but be able to consistently enjoy it, whatever the little projects are along the way and whatever the big picture is that God has you in pursuit of. Because really we must remember the one thing is that the end of any God-given vision is God Himself. Everything is about the glory of God. I think that it's interesting that when God gives any man or woman in Scripture a vision, that's just something really to get their attention so that along the way they'll realize they can't do it in their own strength and that they will pursue Him 
and they will begin to know Him. And so, because I'm going to give you a secret, God likes to be pursued. Come on, come on, brothers. Just like the women in the congregation want to be pursued by their husbands, God the Father wants to be pursued by us. He wants to be hungered after. He wants to be longed for. Because the scripture says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Come on, somebody. Because the end of any God-given vision is not the accomplishment of that vision, it's God Himself. Let me, let me tell you something. Over 30 years ago, I saw a living, vibrant congregation of people. Not a building. We're going to see the building this year. Matter of fact, let me give you a real quick little report. The plans are finished. We're waiting on a fire protection approval and plumbing approval from the state. Okay, as soon as we get that, then we'll be ready to go. We'll be announcing a groundbreaking date. That is days away from us. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So we, we are excited. That, that's going to happen. But for years, I saw something that really wasn't associated with a building. It was building a people. It was seeing a people come together that can lay down little, really non-substantial differences. <coughs> so many times, those are the ones that trip us up. Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So many times it's the nonsense. Churches have split in this community in arguments over the carpet they were going to put in a new sanctuary. We, you know, we just eliminate that. We don't even let you have a decision on what the color the carpet's going to be. Therefore, you can't split over it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm devoted. You know what that means? It means you've been devoted. Oh, we got all kinds of people involved. Don't, 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 don't think for a second. This ain't even about me. I, got not, I don't have anything to do with it. I got other people that are, that are picking the colors and all this kind of stuff. Folks that are interior designers that know what they're doing. My goodness. Uh, do you think we're going to leave this thing to a vote? Are you freaking, I shouldn't say that in the pulpit. Are you kidding me? Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. You heard this. Holy Ghost moving on the front row this morning. One thing, the end of any God-given vision is God Himself. Everything is about the glory of God. When God gives you a picture of something, really it's not about God trying to get you to do that because He can speak it into existence if that's what He wanted. He wants you to experience the, the challenge and, and the bankruptcy of trying to do it in your own strength so you'll cry out and begin to know Him in a way like you've never known Him before. And then when you do it, you have to give Him the glory because you recognize you didn't do it in the first place. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you acting this morning. I started with tears, but I've got some strength on me right now. Hallelujah. Must be that new bicycle. I don't know. You've got to be clear seeing. Nehemiah was in the king's palace over a thousand miles away. Distance it does not hinder you in a vision that God will give you for what you're called to accomplish. He was a hoity-toity, doily on a silver platter, cupbearer to the king, and God took him from a soft kind of existence into becoming a contract manager on a job site. You think God can't transform what you are doing and what you are called to do? Just hide and watch. Just get willing and say, God, use me. And it's amazing how he'll show up and do it. There was an interruption that came one day and Nehemiah saw a need and he caught a vision. He saw a need and he 
caught a vision. Come on, catch that this morning. Hear what I'm saying. He saw a need and he caught a vision. Abraham saw a son that became a family that multiplied into a nation that possessed a land. Sarah got in agreement with it even in the middle of barrenness. Come on, listen to me, some young couples in the room that are praying and seeking God. You're trying to get pregnant and you're struggling with it. Get in agreement with the promise of God. Settle down and rest and relax. Too many times I've seen folk who, who just give up and they go adopt a child. And, and, and which, my goodness, that's what a blessing it is when you can do that. When you can bring an orphan into your home and share out of your generosity to one who otherwise wouldn't have anything. And then once everybody just settles down and relaxes, then boom, mama gets pregnant. And, and, and so I want to tell you, get in agreement with the Abrahamic promise in your life. Get in agreement with it and, and Sarah in her barrenness will find strength to conceive seed. If, you, if that's you this morning, and, and I know there's three or four couples that are praying right now, trying and, and just struggling. And I, I, I want to tell you, immerse yourself in Genesis chapters 12 through 21 and Romans chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11. Read those passages about the promise of God and the faith of God. God will break through into your life. Hallelujah. Moses saw a delivered and a free people. Rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, he chose to identify with the people of God and endured the persecution because he had seen him who is invisible. Everybody say, seeing clearly. Look at your neighbor and say, I can see clearly now. David saw a throne and his vision changed everyone around him, made a bunch of mighty men out of a bunch of panty wastes. Isaiah saw the Lord and it turned a nation back to God. One thing, the end of any God-given vision is God Himself and everything is about the glory of God. It's all about God's glory. We need to see clearly. We need to have people around us who see. You know, as much as I try to look in the mirror, there's always somebody that will come up and go, here, you got something sticking up back here because I can't see back there. I need others around me that can see clearly, not just me relying on my own ability to see clearly. Come on, you, you need a company of, of clear seers. You need folks around you that love you enough to tell you when, 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 when something isn't quite right. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down. Uh, number two. God has called us to be plain speaking. I love it. Remember with me Nehemiah chapter 6. And you don't, I don't have it on the screen. But just remember when Nehemiah dealt with Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab. You remember the opposition that was mounting and how they were calling him out to the plain of Ono. And, and Nehemiah basically just responded time after time after time after multiplied requests. And he said this one thing over and over. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. And, and basically the bottom line is that is ain't, going, ain't nobody got time for that. You know what? And he, he said it in a nice respectful way. He got King James in on him. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come. But the bottom line is that I ain't got time for your nonsense. The distraction of the enemy will attempt to try and derail you from the purpose of God in your life. And you've got to stare it in the face and go, ain't got no time for that. Nehemiah laid out the vision to a people that had been in complacency for 160 years. They'd been in captivity for 70 and they'd been coming back in the restoration for 90 and yet the whole city of Jerusalem and the wall around it lay in rubble and in ruins. 
And it's so easy sometimes to get complacent and comfortable in the way things are. The little preacher said it this way, status quo is Latin for the mess we's in. And sometimes we get real comfortable with our mess. Just watching months ago, <coughs> looking at the condition of portions of my home, just because of the depression that had been in the house. And the mild depression that I had been battling trying to deal with my, my lovely wife, not, not the woman that I had married, 28 years of literally heaven on earth, dealing with problems like every marriage does, but my God, every day, every night, I, I, with, all, with all of my heart, there, there, was, there was love in our house. And, and I'm thankful because of that we, we raised a couple of champions, and I'm grateful to God because of that. And every problem, no marriage is without problems, but three, three and a half, four, four years ago, things just begin to turn and, and just trying to wrestle that and just, and just trying to help her see, baby, this is not real. And we sat with people in the church that she thought was conspiring to try to take her out and sat and had people put their hand on the Bible and swear before God that they hadn't said things that she heard them say to her. I'm revealing things this morning to the whole congregation that I've not talked about, but it is hell. It was outrageous for months. And then just seeing her get up and go to work every day and teach what she'd been doing that she could do with one hand tied behind her back. She was brilliant. Dawn, I don't know that you knew this because she was very humble and unassuming, but I married way up. She's so much smarter than me. Amazing, amazing woman. And loved God and loved me. And, and I, I saw that began to slip. And I'd sat on my back on the back side of our little courtyard on, on a, in, the, in the bigger backyard every day after she'd go to school. And we'd sit out there and pray. And she would go to school and I would cry and go, God, heal my baby. Heal her, oh God. Help her. And the turn of events that happened, I don't think God had anything to do with. People make choices sometimes that can alter your course and keep you from finishing. With all of my heart, I'm going to finish and I'm going to finish well. As a matter of fact, let me just step out here and tell you what my plans are. Let me tell you what my plans are. With By the grace of God, by the grace of God, I'm saying that, okay? Because James tells us that you always need to say, the Lord willing. I never understood it. My granddad used to say, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, I'll be there tomorrow. But James says, don't let any man boast of tomorrow. So let me just say this to you right now. By the grace of God and the Lord willing, I plan on going to 40 years of ministry, which I'll be 68. I planted this church when I was 28. And that's 12 years from now. And in the process, all my life right now is about equipping and training new leaders to be able to pass this into a generation. Your children and your grandchildren. That's what my whole focus is about, is equipping right now. It's about building into, about investing into, so that I can turn around at 68, not retire, but take a different direction and refire for the future and come alongside and support whoever God's going to raise up in the future. Come on, put your hands together. When you've seen clearly, you will begin to speak plainly. Abraham had some guts. He went down to the local watering hole, to the, to the bar, and he said to all of his buddies, don't call me Abram anymore, call me Abraham. Abraham. And they giggled. They didn't, men don't giggle, they chuckled. They laughed at him. They said, dude, you've got to be kidding. You're 75. Your name, your name means exalted father, but you're telling us don't call you exalted father anymore, call you father of many nations? 
Oh, really? Have you looked at Sarah lately? How about yourself, dude? I don't want to be offensive and I don't want to be too plain, but Viagra hadn't been invented yet. Are y'all with me? Is that too plain for church? That's as far as I'll go. But Abraham said, don't call me Abram, call me Abraham. How many of you know folk will laugh at your vision sometimes, but you've got to fully identify with it. My vision 28 years ago was to raise up a people. It wasn't about a building. It was to build a people who would come from diverse backgrounds and, and ethnicities and cultures and, and glorify God so that the kingdom of God could advance in the Delta. And it's just been in the last two, three, four years, five years maybe, that we've actually begun to see happen what I was trusting God for 30 years ago. We were building along the way, but it, it wasn't yet looking like it was supposed to. I'm talking about just the spirit in the house, the grace that motivates what we do. Are, are you getting anything out of this this morning? <coughs> he said, call me Abraham when he was 75. <laughs> I love that. Abraham Kuyper was a journalist, founder of the Reformed Churches of the Netherlands, became the prime minister of the nation, started the Free University of Amsterdam, and he said this as a leader. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Everything on the planet belongs to Jesus. He is Lord over all. Somebody say amen. In the midst of proving that, and pressing the crown rights of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have to stand in the face of evil and opposition. We have to see clearly and we have to speak plainly. And one of my heroes in history is that of Winston Churchill, who was the prime minister of Great Britain during the time of the inauguration, the attempt of the inauguration of the Third Reich and the evil of Nazism, fascism, Mussolini in Italy, Hitler, Hitler in Germany. And he said that we are to be a people who through blood, sweat, toil, and tears, and I'm combining a couple of speeches, he says, never, 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 never give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. Jesus spoke plainly. He said, except you forsake all and follow me, you're not my disciples. He would draw a huge crowd and then he would speak plainly and divide the crowds. One thing is because the end of any God-given vision is God Himself. Everything is about the glory of God. So when we begin to see clearly and speak plainly, God gives us strength and grows us a backbone so that we can do the third principle to finish well, and that is to deal firmly. Everybody say firm dealing. This is where I'm going to give you what I believe is a humorous episode in the close of Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13. This is found in the 13th chapter, and I've got about five or six verses not on the screen, so just listen. He handled opposition. He was practical. There was a time when the opposition was actually physical and he wasn't too hyper-spiritual. The Bible says he prayed and posted a guard. How many of you know you need to pray but don't forget about the natural stuff that you do to bring about the miracle? Every miracle you ever experience in your life, you have something naturally to do to bring it about. God didn't just impregnate Sarah. Forgive me, I'm going to make it so plain this morning. It wasn't immaculate conception when Isaac was born. Abraham had something to do. We'll leave that alone. But how many of you know you've got something to do with every miracle that God brings about? 
Where, why, where do we get off thinking, well, I prayed and nothing happened? Well, why don't you get up off your blessed assurance and actually do something? Look at this, Nehemiah chapter... Th- Are y'all getting anything out of this? Nehemiah 13, remember this good deed also, O my God, have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. Nehemiah 13, 23, about the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Everybody go, "Uh uh-oh. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people, and they could not speak the language of Judah at all. Now let me just stop right here and tell you that when you go back as a New Testament, New Covenant believer, you put on the lenses of Jesus Christ and you look back to the Old Testament and you interpret it with New Testament eyes now. And when we, when we view the curse that came on the people because they married foreigners, it had nothing to do with race. It had to do with whether or not they were faithful to the covenant of believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a belief issue. It's not a color issue. It's not a race issue. It's not an ethnicity issue. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Give the Lord praise this morning. Now, ignorant, foolish men in the early 20th century who from a hyper-fundamentalist background preached from passages like this and strengthened radical organizations like the KKK and created miscegenation laws, that's the way you say it, which outlawed the marrying between a a, a white person and a black person, made it illegal in most every state in America until that stuff began to be struck down. And somebody with some new covenant insight could rise up and show people the nonsense of that kind of hyper-literalistic interpretation. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The the yoking, the marrying, the covenant together has nothing to do with the color of the skin or the culture or the background that they come from or whether they say yes or si, senor. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with are you marrying a fellow believer who trusts in the same Lord and Savior that you do? Because when you don't, you're going to raise children who can't speak the language of Zion. They're going to grow up in a house where they speak the language of the world but can't talk the language of the promises of God. They don't know the language of the Spirit of the Lord. My God, if I can challenge you to do anything, is don't be concerned about keeping up with the Joneses and everybody around you so much so that you fail to raise children that love God and love the house of the Lord. I love this, verse 25. Look at how Nehemiah dealt with it. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I can think of a couple of folk I'd like to make an appointment to do that with. Nobody in this room. I tell you, I read the Bible and I just laugh. I just bend over hee-hawing going, how did he get away with that? <laughs> it's in the Bible. I, call, I cursed them, I beat them up, and I pulled their hair out. <laughs> wonder how the membership drive in that church is going. <laughs> Sam, what's going on with your head? Oh, I had a point with the pastor this week. <laughs> Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Remember, we're talking unbelievers now. We're not talking about color or nationality. Because when you get to the day of Pentecost, you've got faithful believers from every nation on the planet. Idiots don't see that. It's crazy. Verse 26, wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I demanded, there was no king from any nation who could compare to him and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. Not because they were a different color, but because they worshipped different gods. I just want that to sink in. 27, how could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? Everybody say this after me. Say, bad company corrupts good character. You know, Mama said, if you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get up with fleas, son. And it's just, it's just a fact of life. You hang out with folk that don't love God. doesn't mean you can't be friends with folks, but it means you don't need to get chummy with them. You don't need to get in covenant with them. You don't need to get in, in business and in a covenantal contractual agreement. You don't need to get in union. You don't need to get in bed with them. You don't need to get in a marriage with them unless they are believers in the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the end of any God-given vision is God Himself. Everything is about the glory of God. When you see clearly and you speak plainly and you deal firmly, then your life will be God-honoring. Last point. And everything you do in word and deed, do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says. Nehemiah modeled the sacrifice. The scripture says in this book, his memoir, he said that there were his friends, his fellow Hebrews that were out there charging exorbitant interest and literally sending their brothers and sisters back into slavery. And he caught them doing it and defended the weak and the impoverished, the poor. And he said, what are you doing? We're laboring here trying to get our people free and you're out here ensnaring them again in some kind of con artist scam. Andy Wise from Channel 5 is going to show up and knock on your door, boys, if you don't cut this mess out. And he says, I don't get it. Why, why, why can't you sacrifice with me? I've had a governor's allotment for these years and I've never taken it. I have 150 people bellying up to my table every day that I feed out of my own pocket. I've modeled sacrifice for you. Why can't you quit trying to chase the almighty dollar because the almighty is dollar is not almighty at all. He was, was a man of no compromise. He refused. It was not a Machiavellian approach of the end justifying the means. He was determined to do it the right way, do the right thing and do it the right way to the right means for the right end because the right end is the glory of God. Well, you know, nobody's really watching this under the table thing and God doesn't care. Yeah, God's under the table watching it. He's knowing what's going on. You might get away with it once or twice. But, you know, when, when everybody finds out and then your, your, your testimony is ruined and your influence is shattered, we'll be there to love you and pick you up. But you know what? You, you, you've lost a sense of being able to lead. We as leaders have to model sacrifice. We have to model. Come on, somebody. One thing, the end of any God-given vision is God Himself. Everything is about the glory of God. We're to be clear-seeing. We're to be plain-speaking. We're to be firm-dealing. 
were to be God-honoring. Jesus was clear-seeing. He saw the world through the eyes of the Father. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The most powerful theological thing that I can tell you this morning is what Jesus saw. He saw you before you were ever born. That's how clearly Jesus sees your life. He was plain speaking. Jesus said, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by me. John 14, 6 and 7. He says, I am the door of the sheep. John 10, 1. My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus was firm dealing in his presence. The devils fled, sickness bowed, bondage was broken, and ultimately death died. And everything he did, he did it all in love, but to the glory of God. He was God-honoring. In John 4, he said, I have finished the work. In John 17, he says, Father, be glorified in me and I in you so that the world may know that we are one. And Father, by the way, these that you've chosen... Be glorified. Let them be one so that the world may know. And so this morning as I close this message in the art of finishing well, I want to tell you that even if you're in a season where you're not seeing clearly, maybe you see clearly but you've not spoken plainly. Like the pop song, the rock song says, say what you mean, mean what you say. One thing leads to another. Maybe you've seen clearly and you've spoken plainly, but you've not dealt firmly. Maybe you've been in a place of compromise. Maybe you've been able to do all of those things. You've seen clearly, you've spoken plainly, you've dealt firmly, but you've not done it in a God-honoring kind of way. It takes all four of these. It's like a four-legged stool. You take one out and it's going to fall over. It'll collapse. Jesus fulfilled all of those. He sees clearly this morning. He speaks plainly into your life. He deals firmly, speaking truth but in love. And everything that He does is God-honoring. And so this morning I want to say to you, wherever you are, whatever the status quo is that you've possibly been comfortable in, the plain speaking of Jesus says, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Except you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You've got to see it before you can enter it. And you can only see it when you've been born again. This morning, the gospel is that He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And He finished it. He's finished well. He finished so well that He enjoyed the victor's crown and He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews chapter 1 says. He's in the winner's circle the victor's box, and now he's seeing us run races and he's cheering us on. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, as a high priest, as our great high priest, the one and final and the ultimate only high priest, he ever lives to make intercession. Jesus is praying for you right now. You know what? If we could ever really get an awareness of what that means, those words I just said, our lives would be different. We would live differently. Jesus is praying for you. Robert Murray McShane, 
great man of God, prayer warrior, writer, revivalist, said, oh, that Christ were in the next room praying for me and I could hear him, how my life would be different. And he says, but there's no distance in the spirit. Christ is praying for me. And he got up, started a revival, changed the nation. So this morning as you bow your heads with me and close your eyes and no one's looking around...